0: Our sermon today is taken from Romans 11, verse 17 to 24. Here's the word of God. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness of the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Thus says the Lord.
1: Good morning again, friends. Today we're still in our series in the book of Romans and we are going to continue in chapter 11 verses 17 to 24 as we just read earlier. And just so we know, after we're done with chapter 11, before chapter 12, we're gonna take a short break again from the series of Romans and we're gonna do sermons uh, and another mini series outside of the book of Romans, okay, before we jump on chapter 12. But for uh, now, we're still gonna finish off chapter 11. All right, so what is this passage about today? Well, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you would know that Paul here mainly is talking to two different groups of people, right? The first one is he's talking to Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the second group people he he's talking to are non-Jewish people or Gentiles, as he calls them, uh, who do believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay? Now, I'm gonna talk about these two groups of people the Jewish non-Christian and the non-Jewish or Gentile Christian as who they represent in our culture today. All right, let me explain what I mean. The Jewish people here are people who grew up with the Old Testament. They grew up in the temple, perhaps. Uh, They had parents who believed in uh, the scriptures. So they represent today people who grew up in the church. People who had parents who believed in the God of the Bible, people who grew up being taught the Bible, but yet are not Christians themselves. They never personally received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that's who the Jewish people represent here. Lifelong churchgoers who later in life left the church, who didn't end up believing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A phrase that some of you may find similar, uh, familiar today is the phrase that's been thrown around called deconstruction. Uh, perhaps you've heard that. People who've grown up in church a lot uh, are now, uh, for some reason, leaving the church. And that phrase is used a lot. I'm deconstructing my faith. And if you find yourself relating or connecting with that particular demographic of, of people, I think you'll connect a little bit here with what Paul has to say to the Jewish people in this passage. Okay, But also the second group of people that Paul is talking to here in this passage are non-Jewish people or Gentiles, right? But who are Christians. So these are people who never grew up in church, uh, who never uh, was taught the Bible, but yet they later in life ended up receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So in other words, people like me, never really grew up in church. I was never really taught the Bible growing up, but yet I came to Christ later in life. And if that's your story, then I think you'd be able to relate to what Paul has to say here to the Gentiles in this passage, okay? One thing, last thing I'll say is that if you're listening to this and you don't find yourself falling in under either category of those two categories, I think you'll still learn a lot from this passage about who the Bible claims God is, about why the church is a big deal for Christians, and about why the cross is so important to Christianity, okay? So here's how the sermon's going to go. In my first two points, I'm going to talk about, or I'm going to talk to people like me, uh, Gentiles, who never really grew up in the church, but then came to Christ and started joining the church later in life. Okay, that's my who my first two points will be directed to. And then in my last and third point, I'm gonna be talking to, quote unquote, the Jews. Okay, the people who did grow up in church, but perhaps aren't feeling a bit disenchanted or, or uh, disheartened by the church and are not leaving the church, all right? So here are my points. Uh, to those who are like me, who never grew up in church, but came to Christ later in life, Paul is saying, one, don't be arrogant. Okay, don't be arrogant. And two, here's how we can stay humble. And my last point for those who grew up in the church but are now moving away from the church or from Christianity, from Jesus altogether, Paul is saying to you all here, come back. Come back. Okay, let's start with the first point. To those who never grew up in church but came to Christ later in life, don't be arrogant. First point. So one thing about this church in Rome that Paul was writing the letter of Romans 2 is a lot of the people in this church were Gentiles, Christian Gentiles. In other words, people who never grew up in church, but then received Christ as Lord and Savior later in life and joined the church later in life. And what happened was these people, these Gentiles, started to get a little cocky. Why? Because they started to think that they're better than the Jews. They're better than the people who grew up in church, but then later left the church. Look at us, these Gentiles would say. We came from a godless past. We never grew up in church. We never had what you all had, but look at us now. We're in and you're out. And Paul here is rebuking these Gentiles saying, do not be arrogant. And in verse 17, he rebukes them by using this imagery of an Olive tree, right? Paul describes the Gentile Christians who never grew up in church but came to Christ later in life as wild olive shoots or wild olive branches that had no life in their own. Look, you were engrafted into the trunk of the olive tree, meaning you were engrafted. You were included into God's people. Let's call that the church, right? But you were engrafted, passive tense. You didn't engraft yourself, someone else engrafted you in. In other words, God through Christ saved you. He died for your sins. He made you realize the gospel and hear the gospel and receive the gospel. He engrafted you in. Don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant. You were a wild olive shoot, he says. And this wasn't a compliment. If you saw what a wild olive shoot looks like, it's this really small, fragile, helpless branch that if it was left on its own, it, it would die. In order to survive, you have to kind of like connect it to an actual olive tree trunk so that it could sap nutrition and life out of the tree to live. What well, Paul's saying here to people like me who came to Christ later in life, not having grown up in church, is don't get cocky. Remember where you came from. Remember your past. You were weak. You were wild. You were godless don't come into God's house with your chest pumped up thinking you're better than everyone else. Now, here's what I want to point out. Isn't it interesting? And if you grew up in kind of Christian circles, you would know what I'm talking about here. Usually, Christians who came from a non-churched, sinful past, who has like an, uh, an edgy coming to Christ story, right? We're usually pretty prideful about it, aren't we? And if you've been around the church context long enough, you know what I'm talking about. Like when I first became a Christian, I had what many call an edgy testimony, right? An edgy story about how I came to receive Christ. You've probably heard those, right? It's the one that goes, you know, man, before I was a Christian, I used to party, I used to drink, right? I was wild, you know? But then I came to Christ and then I turned 360 or 180, I guess, (laughs) you know, And, and my life was turned around. You know, those kind of kaboom-type testimonies. And I'm not saying we can't be excited about that, because it does display God's radical grace and forgiveness to sinners like you and I. But let's be honest, isn't it not tempting to share our quote-unquote edgy testimonies in such a way that doesn't really elevate God's grace, but instead in a subtle and twisted way, elevates ourselves? And in fact, if you've been in most Christian circles, you would know that these edgy testimonies are often seen as better than the more normal stories of how somebody comes to Christ. You know, the quote-unquote Jewish person's testimony here. The guy who says, I've, you know, always been to church. My parents were Christians. I grew up in the church. I was baptized as a kid. But I never really understood the gospel. And then, like during Sunday school, when I was around 12 or something, I don't know, maybe 13, the gospel became clear to me and I truly made Christ my own. And I received him for salvation. I'm still in the church now and I never really left. Stories like that are often seen as as second rate, as not as exciting. And Paul here is saying, don't think that way. If you, if you came to Christ later in life, not having grown up in church, Don't be arrogant toward other branches, he says in verse 18. You are a wild olive shoot, and your wild past shouldn't be interpreted as exciting edginess. It's not. It actually represents weakness, powerlessness, darkness, imminent death. And unless someone, in other words, God, was kind enough to die in your place and forgive you of your sins and include you into his church, you'd die, you'd perish. So... Don't be arrogant toward other branches. But let me me just say this. As someone who did come from that kind of background, I can empathize and understand the confusion. Because it's hard for us to know which is which, right? Because on on one hand, we're really excited about God redeeming us from our sinful past. But then on the other hand, we don't know when that excitement has crossed the line and actually turned into arrogance. It's hard to differentiate between the two. Well, here's a sign, Paul continues in verse 18. Here's a sign that can help us differentiate between the two, that can help us differentiate when our excitement of having been redeemed from a sinful past has actually crossed the line and turned into arrogance. Okay. Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward other branches, Paul says. And he continues, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. All right, so what does all that mean? Well, give me a second to explain what the root is, what Paul means by the root here. The root here refers to the biblical truths, in other words, the doctrine of Christianity, and the biblical institution, in other words, the church. Okay, that's what the root is, biblical doctrine and the church. That's what gives us spiritual nutrition and spiritual life. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, we can know fellow Gentiles, that we're starting to become arrogant when we start to think that we don't really need doctrine and the church. Okay, when we start to think that our ideas, our thoughts, our creativity is actually what the root, what Christianity needs. Let me try to explain it this way. For Christians like me, who came to Christ later in life, never grew up in the church, it is very, very easy to become arrogant and feel like the church and the biblical doctrines that the church has taught throughout the centuries isn't that important. Why is it easy for us to feel that way? Well, because those things never really played a huge role in our lives growing up, right? We came to Christ maybe because a friend shared the gospel to us, or maybe because we heard a sermon on YouTube somewhere, or maybe because we went to a Bible study that you know we saw a cute girl in, right? Or whatever. And we heard the gospel, we came to Christ. I'm not justifying those things. I'm not saying, you know, it's, that's okay to do. I'm just saying God can use even unideal things like that to draw us to forgiveness uh, in Christ to the cross. And that's great. But the point is the institutional church never really played a, a big role in our lives. And we didn't grow up with these biblical truths that, that the church would have taught, So it's easy for us to have a low view of the church and a low view of these biblical doctrines, okay? And and that's exactly how I was when I first became a Christian. I honestly used to think for like the first two or three years of me being Christian, I used to believe that the church was an outdated institution that needed to be canceled. I sincerely believe that, that the church is just a royal excuse for lazy Christians who can't be bothered to go out and do real work of ministry. They're just, you know, sitting there, listening to someone talk. Why do that anymore? It's so old-fashioned. It's so impractical. And okay, I thought to myself, if we're going to do it, why are we doing it like this? You know, what's this liturgy thing? What's this order of worship stuff so stuffy, so traditional? What are these hymns? You know, they're so old and outdated. And then on top of that, all we do when we do this church thing, is we preach these old, boring doctrines, like original sin, like the Trinity, like the incarnation of Christ, like salvation, sanctification, justification, glorification, blah, blah, blah All these terms, these phrases, these old doctrines, so impractical. You know what? What we need to do is get on TikTok. That's the solution. We need to get on TikTok, okay? And we need to talk about practical things that... People want to hear about. We need to revamp the whole thing. We need to reshape the root. You see, Paul here is saying, be careful. When you start to think like that, when you start to talk like that, you're getting cocky. You don't support the root, the root supports you. Now, does the church have room to grow in their in their ability to contextualize the culture of course it does does the church often fall into unnecessary traditionalism that ends up hurting people of course it does and it's unbiblical and it's not right and perhaps you've been personally hurt by the church before because of this so so you want to change it now that you're born again christian and yes sure the church does need a lot of change paul is saying the church is perfect All he's saying to Christians who came to Christ later in life, like me, who never experienced growing up the importance of the church, you know, and these doctrines, he's telling us, be careful, don't be arrogant. It's tempting to start chopping away and cutting off and reshaping and revamping the root as you please. Especially if you've seen it be ineffective and hurtful in the past. But the root or the church is to be shaped primarily by Scripture. Not by practical ism and not by our generation's overreaction to the faults of our predecessors. If we just start chopping away, cutting off, reshaping, revamping however we like without double, triple, quadruple checking it with the Bible, you know, whether or not we have the liberty to do that, we're going to end up hurting ourselves. Why? Because the very thing that supports us, the root, the very thing that nourishes our spiritual life, will collapse. Sure, the church will be comfortable to go to in that way. Sure, it'll catch the interest, you know, uh, with practical things that our worldly ears want to hear. Sure, it's going to grow and attract a lot of people, but it'll be spiritually dead, Paul says. Having only the appearance of godliness without its power loud and empty. Don't get cocky. Our thoughts, our ideas, our strategies, our creativity are good things, but those are not the source of spiritual life. So in our attempt to contextualize the church to our culture, we mustn't do it in such a way that forgets there are many biblically foundational things that can't be chopped away. A mistake that many have fallen into. A mistake that Covenant City Church can also very easily fall into. We're a young church. And you know what comes with youth? Arrogance. A lot of you are are like me. We came to Christ later in life. We haven't really grown up in church. Paul's warning us, don't get cocky. Don't be arrogant. Which leads us to our second point. How can we stay humble? How can we stay humble? Well, let's continue in verse 19. Paul starts in verse 19. Very helpfully, I thought, he begins by clarifying why it's so easy for us to fall into arrogance. And it's tricky. Arrogance is tricky because here's what arrogance does. Arrogance takes a true and good thing about ourselves, but it then makes us focus on that one true and good thing things so much, so obsessively, that it ends up blinding us to everything else. That's what arrogance does. Let me try to explain it better. Take a look at verse 19. Paul here is talking to arrogant Gentiles, right, who came to Christ later in life, who didn't grow up in the church, and they are bragging. Look at verse 19. They said, those branches, talking about the Jews, the lifelong churchgoers, those branches, they were broken off so that I might be grafted in. In other words, they're saying the reason why God allowed those lifelong churchgoers to leave the church so that I can be included into the church. And look at how Paul responds in verse 20. He says, that's true. It's true. There's truth to that. But remember what arrogance does. It takes a true and good thing and makes us obsess about it so much that it blinds us in the bigger picture. And that's exactly what's happening to the Gentiles here. Yes, that's true, Paul's saying, but that's not the full story. That's not the big main picture, Paul explains. It's not that there's a capacity limit that God has to abide by, right? It's not all about you, Gentiles. Here's the bigger picture, okay? Paul continues to explain. Look at the rest of verse 19. Here's a bigger picture. The Israelites were broken off also because of their own unbelief. Like, this whole thing isn't just about you. God's doing this to show his justice to the world, or the phrase Paul uses here is his severity, God did this also to display his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. Oh, and by the way, also, God's doing this to show his kindness. Look at verse 20 again. You're standing here in church, Gentile, Paul says, through faith, meaning you didn't do anything. It's not like you worked your way in. (laughs) Jesus did all the work for you on the cross. He died so that you could be forgiven for all your sins and being grafted into the church. There's a bigger picture here, okay? God's doing it to show his severe judgment, his holiness, his righteousness to the world. He's also doing it to show his mercy and his kindness and his patience and his grace to the world. Yes, your salvation is about you. That's true, he says. But also your salvation isn't really just about you. God didn't ultimately die on a cross for you. He didn't. He died on the cross to show off who he is to the world for his own glory. But that's what arrogance does. It hones in to one true good thing, so much so that it blinds us to the bigger picture. It's like when a financially responsible husband, who's at the same time emotionally neglectful to his wife, says to his wife, I pay the bills, don't I? So just stop complaining already. Is it true he pays the bill? Of course. Is it good that he pays the bills? Of course it's good. But he's missing the point, isn't he? That's what arrogance does. Or when an abusive pastor, verbally abusive pastor, who's at the same time very gifted uh, as a preacher, says, look at how I've grown the church. Look Look at what my preaching did. You know, stop complaining already. Is it true that... His preaching grew the church. Of course it's true. Of course it's good. But he's missing the point, isn't he? That's what arrogance does. So, fellow Gentiles, who, like me, never grew up in church and came to Christ later in life, Paul is saying, don't forget, God saved us not to make much of us. God saved us so that he can make much of himself. And he's been doing it for a long time now, through his scripture, through the church, in other words, through the root. This is much bigger than we are, you know? So let's enter into his kingdom that we've been graciously engrafted into with some reverence, shall we? Let's not come stomping in, changing all kinds of traditions, doctrines and practices, thinking that we have the answer that God's been missing this whole time. Don't be arrogant. That's, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. Okay, now, was Paul here being a bit harsh to the Gentiles? Maybe a little bit, some might argue, right? But he's being like this intentionally, okay? For, for, for many purposes. He, he's doing it to humble them. It's good for us to be humbled, okay? He's doing this to protect the church, right? So that we would stick, the root would be biblical and not a carry to and fro by different creative ideas of the generation, but the reason, the, the main reason here in the text of why Paul is being a little bit harsh at the Gentiles is because he was actually trying to call back the Jews to come back, those who grew up in church but were never really born again Christians. Um, he's saying, come back, come back, truly receive Christ as Lord and Savior. So for those of you who, who did grow up in church and you're brought up in a Christian family, but now for whatever reason, you're feeling disenchanted you're feeling hurt by the church and you want to kind of be removed from the whole thing. Paul, here in the last two verses of our passage, he's talking to you and he's saying, Come back. Let's get into it. Have you heard um, ha- someone talking to you? Someone's trying to tell you a message, but they're really doing it by talking to someone else who's in the room even though you're right there next to them? You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's kind of what Paul's doing here, but like the good version of that, because when that happens, usually it's really annoying. In our last two verses, Paul here, he's still directly talking to the Gentiles. But really, he's trying to send a message to the Jews, who would have been reading this as well in Rome at the time. Now, what message is Paul trying to tell them? Well, let me read out loud what Paul says here in our last two verses, and then you tell me. What implicit message do you think Paul is trying to tell the Jews here, okay? So this is Paul still speaking to the Gentiles, right? The non-churched converts who came across later in life. Paul says, and even they, the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has a power to graft them in again. For if you Gentiles were cut off uh, from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these people, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? What message do you think Paul's trying to communicate to the Jews here who are the natural branches of the olive tree? He's calling them to come back. I know you left a long time ago, come back. Now, there may be tons of reasons of why you left and why you don't want to come back. And a lot of those reasons, I'm sure, are legit. But what Paul does here that he's telling you, the deeper underlying root issue of why it is you left that's what he's going to tell us in verse 23. And I admit it can sound a bit harsh and un- unempathetic on Paul's part at first, but let me explain it after I, I read it, okay? Paul says in verse 23 that at the heart, deep root reason of why you refuse to come back is because of your unbelief. Now, let me, let me explain, okay? I know and am friends with many people who grew up in church, like these Jewish people people Paul's addressing, but then when they grew up, they left church, and there are many legitimate reasons of why did they did this. Some, perhaps, were wronged by their old church, and they were justifiably hurt. They were justifiably angry, and you may have experienced this yourself. Your pastor, for example, took advantage of your time, and, and, and he pressured you to serve more than you probably should have in that season of life, And the main tool he uses to take advantage of your time is guilt. Guilt, 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 guilt. So you worked, you worked, you worked, and you got burnt out and you left. That makes complete sense why you left. Or another reason is perhaps the leadership of your church lacked integrity. Recently, I don't know if you're aware of this, but two very high profile pastors and Christian leaders were caught for sexual abuse. It's been proven for lying, for financial fraud. You know, and this kind of stuff hurts people. And it causes them to be disappointed and and leave the church. It makes sense. Or perhaps you saw in your church a toxic environment of sorts, right? Pride and judgmental behavior. There, There could be many legitimate reasons of why you left church. Let me just be the first to say, if those observations are true about your church, then I'm glad you left that church. No one is telling you to stay in an... Um, abusive, unhealthy, and toxic environment. Okay, it's good that you left. But then, you never felt drawn to come back. Now, you might have intended to originally want to look around for a different church, you know, but then you put it off, and a week turned into a month, and a month turned into a year, and a year turned into a decade. And, And before you knew it, Christianity and the church and Jesus Christ all together started to become a distant memory. You'd visit during Easter and Christmas, but functionally, how you view life and your decisions in life no longer has anything to do with Christ or with the Bible at all. Now, can you blame your old toxic church for this outcome? In a sense, yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. But on the other hand... I also know a lot of people who were hurt by their church, rightfully so, and they left that particular church just like you, but yet, for some reason, they were able to localize the sins of that church to that church alone instead of blaming all of Christendom for it. And for some reason, instead of leaving the faith and Christ altogether, they felt a longing that they couldn't shake off no matter how hard they tried to look for another church so they looked and they looked and they looked and it's not easy to do this because now they have a scar a wound a more cynical and less naive view of the church well of course they would they were wronged badly in the past but they kept looking and they looked until they found one until they found a church that is rooted in scripture, both in their doctrine and practice that is healthy, that is kind. And they join that church and they continue to walk in their relationship with Christ there in that new local church. Now, what caused the different reactions? And we've all seen life examples about this. Why do some lifelong churchgoers get hurt by the church and then leave the Christian faith altogether to never return again to any church at all, ever? Yet other churchgoers can be hurt just the same by their church, or perhaps at times even worse. I have stories I'll tell you. But yet that hurt didn't make them leave Jesus and Christianity altogether, but rather it became for them an opportunity to find another church that's healthier, that can help them heal from the evils of their previous unbiblical church. What's, What's the difference between these two scenarios? Now, you may agree or disagree with with Paul here, and I, and I realize that different situations have different nuances and different explanations that needs to be had, but here what Paul's trying to say is it, it, the scenario of two people are hurt by a local church in the same exact way, and they both leave that church, but one ends up leaving the faith altogether, and the other doesn't, comes back to another healthier church. What's the difference? Here's the difference Paul's saying in verse 23. It's belief. It's faith. Um, I'm not minimizing your hurt here. I'm not minimizing what your church might have done to you. What I'm saying is that if you've truly been bound unto Christ by true faith, if you truly have been united to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the same power that was strong enough to shake Mount Sinai, by the same power that was strong enough to split a whole sea. If that same power has bound you to Christ, the faults of a local church will not so easily break it. I'm not making excuses for that church, but a heart that's been truly bound to Christ, it will seek out the gospel. It will seek out Christ. It will seek out His people. It will seek out the church. True worship, it will seek out the root, like gas that would naturally rise to the heavens, like how reason is naturally drawn to truth, like how goodness refusing to be divorced from beauty. A true child of God who truly believes, Paul saying, will naturally seek out God's word and God's people, the root, no matter the barriers. If you left Christ and his cross altogether because of the faults of a local church, Paul is saying here, be open to the possibility that the hurt itself is not the main deep root issue of why you're not coming back. And it's been so long. Be open to the possibility that the main issue is that deep inside, you've actually always felt a lack of connectedness to Christ. Deep inside, you've always felt a lack of deep unity with Christ, deep inside there's always been disbelief that the Bible is actually real. Now, far from being insensitive and unsympathetic, Paul here in verse 23, I think he's actually being, being sympathetic because he, he's getting at the root issue, you see, and that's unbelief. You know, he didn't just focus on your external behavior, right? He didn't just say, come back, you sinner, right? And guilting you to come back to church, even if you don't want to. He's not. He's actually just trying to point out the deeper underlying issue that needs to be dealt with. And that's not just your behavior. It could be unbelief. That may be the thing you have to deal with first. Now, I can't continue on this um, uh, trail, but for some of you out there, you know, who this may apply to, you may hear this, but you're not ready to come back. If that's you, you know, work through it Talk to someone about it, process it, do what you need to do. But if some of you out there are lifelong, were lifelong churchgoers and and you left the church and you're hearing this and you at this moment may feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit, but you're still not quite sure because it feels like you can't come back. How can I come back? You might ask. It's, It's been too long. After all these years, After all I've done? If this is you, look at Paul's answer here in verse 24 to you. He says, are you kidding me? Don't you see all these other wild olive branches that God rooted in while you're gone? Look at all these newcomers. You think what you did was bad? Look at what they've done. Look at their past. Oh, and by the way, look at how cocky they still are now. Coming up in here trying to change things up like they own the place. (laughs) If God grafted them in, how much more will you, natural branches, be grafted into your own olive tree? You will never be too far off. You will never be too sinful. You will never be too dirty. You will never be too broken. Come back. Earlier, we talked about the story of the prodigal son in the liturgy. You know, you might have ran away far from home. You might have done things you shouldn't have done. You might have squandered your whole inheritance. And in the process, you might have wished your heavenly father dead. But you know what your father will do? The second he hears the faintest sound of your footsteps, you know what he'll do? he'll run straight to you and hug you. How can he do that? After all that you've done, how can he still welcome you home? I'll tell you why. Because the faith of your childhood isn't a fairy tale. Because the cross is real. And all of your sins, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and you bear it no more. That's why. You will never be too far off. So come back, would you? Do not continue in your unbelief. Come back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, perhaps from many different spectrums, of people, even beyond the two categories we just talked about. Please make it real, the truths you are trying to proclaim here in this passage about who you are, about our sin, about the gospel, about the church. Whatever it is people need to hear from this very dense few verses, I pray, Spirit, that you would make it clear to whoever needs to hear whichever part more. And I pray that as you do so, you'd be gracious to your churches here in Jakarta, in Indonesia, to us, Covenant City Church. You'd be gracious and patient with us. We will make a lot of mistakes. Be patient with us. Be kind to us. Help us cling to the gospel, to the blood of Christ. And realize that we've been engrafted in and that we are now your sons and your daughters. Help us more mercy. Give us more mercy. Build us up the likeness of your image, the power of your spirit founded in your word for the glory of your name, washed by the blood of your Son for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.